Who's desperate for Jesus tonight? Who's hungry for more of Jesus tonight? Yeah. Thank you for that beautiful worship. This is so loud. So good. Let's pray once again. Thank you, Lord, for your manifest presence in this place tonight. Lord, your people have come because they're hungry for you. They didn't come out after a busy work week, rushing from work, going home, coming here, all things together to just come and be. They've come because they're hungry for you. And Lord, you said, if we hunger and thirst after you, we would be filled. So tonight, Lord, I'm praying that your word would fill us up, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would stir up a hunger inside of us, Lord, that we would so long for you that nothing else would satisfy. That's what we want tonight, Lord. We want to be at a place of desperation every day. Say, Jesus, come and fill me. Come and meet me. Come and give me everything I need. Today, my daily bread. And Lord, we believe you for it. Speak to your people tonight, Lord, and I pray that you anoint me. The things that you've put in my heart to share, God, that um, your word would go forth to touch, to encourage, to build up, to challenge. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I knew we were going to speak about um, something about the bread of life in John chapter 6, but I didn't really have a title. And on uh, Monday, I had my six- and four-year-old granddaughters and the baby, but she wasn't talking much. And um, at the end of the day, Jenna, the six-year-old, said, Nana, can we watch a show? I said, okay. So she wanted to watch a kid's movie that I hadn't seen. And I'm sitting there with her, and all of a sudden, out of the cartoon comes, Who's hungry? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I had thought about that. Okay, so thank you, Lord. I just love it when he confirms in the simplest of ways, right, what he wants to say to us. So who's hungry tonight? I'm hungry. I am so hungry for Jesus. He has so much for us that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, right? I am so hungry for him tonight. So we all have appetites. So think about what is your go-to food? If I asked Tom that he would have a list. (laughs) In fact, I said to him on the way over, you know what? We get paid at the end of the month, and so we have have a little bit extra this month until next week when we get paid. And I said, you know why that is? Because you were sick for a week. (laughs) And he couldn't go to the market as often. I am telling you, that is the absolute truth. (laughs) He's in and out of stop and shop four or five times a week. And I love it because, you know, I don't have to go because I don't really care to go. He loves going. So we have appetites, don't we? We have appetites. We love food. We love certain things. But when I'm hungry, my go-to food is something starchy. I love bread. I just love bread. I love bagels. I love anything starch. It's something that will quickly satisfy Right? It's like my favorite thing to, to have when I'm. I wish it was something healthier. I wish it was fruit or some veggies, but I don't know. Maybe because I'm lazy and starches, you can just grab it and eat it a nice bagel with some cream cheese, right? So bad for us. Well, that's a little over the top. 
But as it is in the natural, so is it in the spiritual, right? We have desires, we have cravings of this flesh, but we don't often realize that God created us that way, with a vacuum that causes us to long for something otherworldly, causing us to long for something other than the natural things, right? He shaped us so that no matter how hard we try to fill that vacuum with everything else, we're going to come up dissatisfied until we come to know Jesus, because that's his ultimate goal, that he would come and fill that space in us. So in John 6, Jesus performs the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. He sees the need of the people. The masses are hungry. They're looking for natural food. But in meeting their natural need, what he really wanted to do was capture their attention, that there was something more that he could offer to them. And isn't that true with us too, right? He wants to give us so much more than taking care of our natural things. I mean, yes, he wants to provide for us financially and in every other way, but he wants to meet our spiritual needs and and our emotional needs. So he says to the people, you came looking for a sign. Here's a sign. He took the five small barley loaves and a couple of fish, and we know the story of the loaves and the fishes, and he multiplied, and he fed the multitudes. He fed thousands and thousands of people. You know, so I, I just kind of want to look at a little bit in John chapter 6. There's so much here, and there's so many different messages that we could preach from here, but I'm just going to pull a couple of points out. So I want to tell you that about the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, because I want to start reading on verse, at verse 22 in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Is this echoing? Is it okay? Okay. The next day, the crowd, after the multitude were fed, stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realized that there was only one boat that had been there and that Jesus had entered, not entered it with, with his disciples and that they had gone alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So there's one point there. What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is to believe in the one that he has sent. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may believe you? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gave the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven. Just like the manna came down in the wilderness. Now Jesus, the living bread, came down from heaven. And he came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. 
For this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And he just goes on again and says, I am the bread come down from heaven. I came down from heaven. And they said, how can this be? He says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And, um, and then he goes on to say those words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And many people turned away and couldn't walk with him because they said, this is too hard a thing. Because they were thinking, like, how do we literally do that? He wasn't speaking literally, right? He was speaking type. So I want to talk about some of those things tonight in this message, but I want to give you a little bit of the background of that. So Jesus tells them, our fathers ate the bread sent down from heaven, the manna, but they died. They didn't live forever. I am the bread come down from heaven to earth. He came to give his body, his life, to save us. We want to look at Jesus, the bread of life that saves us, Jesus, the bread of life that sustains us, and Jesus, the bread of life that satisfies us. He says to them, if you partake of me, you will never die, but you will have eternal life. Jesus and Jesus alone saves us. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Right? How many have had that experience? Where you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and, and began a relationship. A spiritual birth took place inside of you. I was in a place of emptiness. I was in a place in, in the early 80s, young family. Tom and I had a good relationship, middle-class America, nice home, but I knew that there was something missing. And it was on a morning in 1982 as I was making a beef stew, peeling carrots and potatoes. I, I can see myself very clearly there at my sink, tears running down my face saying, there has got to be something more. And so that wasn't really my idea. That was God putting that thought in my heart and drawing me because he said no one can come except the, the, the Father, the Spirit, draw us, right? It was God doing that. God heard the cry of my heart that day, the emptiness, the longing for something not of this world. I didn't know what or who, but I knew something, that I needed something more. I didn't know that it was a Savior that I needed, but he was going to make himself very real to us. I knew I needed someone, and he was starting to get my attention. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. There's a piece of God in, in our humanity that God uses to draw us. We know every person, if they were to get honest with themselves, knows that there has to be something more because God set it in our hearts that we would look for him. It causes us to long for him, and he alone can fill it. Jesus says in verse 26, let me make this clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. So he was capturing their attention, but they still didn't get it. And you know, sometimes it takes a while, right? Someone comes and shares the gospel with us, and we don't really understand it. I remember my aunt from Vegas came, and she used to talk to us about the Lord, and it was like another language, right? It's gibberish. Because who, who can understand it? The Word of God is a spiritual book. So until we're born again and, and we have the Spirit of God inside of us, they still didn't get it. But he says to them, don't be passionate about perishable, perishable food. You're going to be hungry again. Right? You're going to be hungry again if you're trying to fill 
the spirit man with the things of this world. Be passionate to seek food of eternal life, which will never spoil. The Son of Man has come ready to give you what matters most. And this is the Father's purpose, the reason I came, that you would believe in the one that he sent. Jesus came to save us and to give us eternal life, not just in the future, not just an add-on, but that we could have eternity now, that we can know him in a personal way and experience all the benefits of eternal life now, our very life. He wants to be our life. He's not an add-on. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, right? Without him, he's the air we breathe. He's our daily bread, and that's what he wants us to be in that place of relationship where we're partaking of him constantly. It's interesting, when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness with his 40 days of fasting and he was hungry, he said, turn these stones to bread. Jesus wouldn't do it. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of of the mouth of God. But remember the miracle of the loaves? There were 12 baskets left over. Jesus has enough. Jesus is more than enough. He wouldn't create bread for his own need in that 40-day fasting, but he gladly multiplied the loaves and the fishes to satisfy the longing of the multitudes and to satisfy our hunger, right? He wants to fill us. Why do you think he wants to fill us? Just so that, what, we can be full and feel good? No, he wants to fill us, and I'll tell you one reason why. The last two days, we've had Jehovah Witnesses in our neighborhood, and they came to our our door twice, the same people. I don't know if they forgot they came or what, but at first it, it irritated me a little bit because the doorbell rang, and I was in the other room, and Tom was out, and the dog went berserk, and it was a little chaotic, and um. And when I looked out the blind, I thought, it's these same six people. They were here yesterday. And they rang my doorbell yesterday. And then I felt sad. I felt sad because that's their religion, and that's what they have to do. And then I felt convicted because I felt the Spirit of God say to me, how many times have you shared me with your neighbors? Hmm. How many times have you broken bread? Have you told others? You've told your family. You've told the people in your workplace about me. Wow. He hasn't saved us just for ourselves, but we would do the work of God, that we would bring this bread of life to a world that's dying of starvation. They're trying to fill the longing with everything that they can imagine and coming up empty without Jesus, dying of starvation. Believe, it's not just a mental belief, and we know that. Those of us that have been walking with God for a while know that this word doesn't mean just in my head. It's a Greek word that means to be persuaded, to place confidence, trust in. If you could put that definition up, please. Reliance upon. It's a verb, which means it's an action word, and it requires something on our part. It's not just a mentally believing, but it's a living our lives out for him. So he fills us up so that we can overflow and that we can feed other people. The people can partake of the Jesus in us, that we will let him multiply in and through us, that we will break off something and give it to someone in need, right? This word belief, I thought this was really interesting when I saw this, 
is used 10 times in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and nine times in the Gospel of Luke. But in the Gospel of John, 99 times. Because it's the emphasis on Jesus coming as the Son of God. He came down as the Son of God, as the Savior, as the Son of God, to make a difference in our lives. Why? To inspire belief in us to be able to share that belief with others. Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth to give us eternal life, to be the bread of life in us. Don't keep the miracle of salvation to ourselves. Let's share the miracle of salvation with people around us. Don't be afraid, right? Greater is he that's in you than he that... You will be surprised that the people that look the hardest are really the ones that are the softest and most ready to receive the gospel. And you don't have to feel like you need to know everything. Share your experience. Share what the Lord has done for you, right? You know he's made a difference in your life. Have a couple of scriptures. And if you don't have the answers, don't feel bad. That, you know what? I don't know, but I'll get back to you on that, right? I believe that we're living in a day when we are going to see an increase of the supernatural and an outpouring of God's spirit. His presence is intensifying in the earth, and it has to because the darker things get, the brighter the church has to shine because there is no other answer except Jesus. And we are the Jesus that some people are going to see. So we are the bread of life that they people, the people need to partake of. Bill Johnson, I think it's in his Heaven Can Come book. I happen to be reading it, but my daughter-in-law posted it the other day. says, it's abnormal for the Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. It's written in our spiritual DNA to hunger for the impossibilities around us to bow at the name of Jesus and for people to see the glory of God in and through our lives. Not that we get the credit, but they see Jesus, right? That we're feeding them through our lives, the bread of life. Not does he only have the power to save us, but he has the abilities to sustain us. To sustain means that he can strengthen, support us physically, mentally, spiritually. Who's needed a little sustenance this week? Elder Deb, anybody? Been in a tough place? where you need the presence of God, you need the word of God to come and fortify you and strengthen you. My granddaughter, Aria, is 19. She's an amazing, intense soccer player. She's had her teeth knocked out. She's, she's crazy. She's been playing since she was five. She plays hard. She's trained hard. As she got older, before games, she wouldn't eat anything other than carbs. She would eat pasta, she would eat bread, she would eat potatoes, anything starchy, because she came to realize that those carbs are converted to energy that would need to be, you know, sustaining her strength to play the whole game as you're running back and forth on that soccer field or as a goalie. They're an important source of energy for our bodies. We know a little bit more about carbs than we used to know, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but that our bodies store the carbs and convert them to sugar when you need the energy. So think about that. So too is the word of God, the bread of life, as it's daily consumed, becomes spiritual life and strength to sustain us when we need it. That's why it's so important to have a steady diet of the word of God and time in God's presence. The living word stored in us, ready to be released when the battle rages. Don't wait for a crisis to hit and then try to get filled up. 
If you are daily partaking of the Lord, of Jesus, and his word, when the trial comes, you're staying in fellowship with him, you have everything that you need. And you know what? Even if we haven't really been staying in fellowship with him that much, his grace is on us because he's a God who loves us and he covers us. But how much more fortified are we if we are partaking of the bread of life and being filled and satisfied? He's sustaining us. He talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, obviously not literally. And many didn't understand, and they, they discontinued following him. So listen, I'm not saying that walking with Jesus every day is a cakewalk. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Right? Sometimes it's hard. I mean, you know, we go through adversity. I mean, we go through adversity with or without him. So really, what's our alternative? Give me Jesus any day, right? We can't make it alone. We need his power. We need his spirit alive in us, sustaining us, enabling us. I don't know how spending time in his word and spending time in prayer and worshiping him converts to energy inside of us. Spiritual energy. I don't know how he does that, but he does it. In the same way that it happens in the natural. Spiritually, it happens to us. Right? Come on, who can testify? I'm in the word, I'm in his presence, I'm worshiping. I just, life might be brutal all around me, but I feel his strength in me. And so, isn't the opposite also true? But we're neglecting time with him. And the struggle comes. What's converted to weakness and vulnerability? We're an open, we're easy target, really. We don't have our guard up. We don't have the shield of faith up. We don't have the sword of the spirit ready, sharpened, right? We're not partaking of the bread of life. One sweet word of God sets my heart on fire. One sweet word of God tells the devil he's a liar. One sweet word of God sets my vision higher. I desire one sweet word of God, right? Even though at times the word can be, feel a little dry and you're not feeling like you're getting anything out of it, it's okay. I mean, would you not eat just because you're not crazy about what's put before you if it's the only thing that you have? No, because you know you need, you need physical strength. We need spiritual strength, right? Keep reading it. It's producing something in it. It's renewing our minds. And as we persevere in our relationship with Jesus, we gain momentum. We have breakthroughs. They're going to come. Power is going to be released in our lives. The word's going to be illuminated to us. There's going to be revelation. God's going to speak to us. He's going to make some things clear. He's going to make us stronger, right? Because this powerful bread of heaven is a person. A person, and his name is Jesus, and he lives inside of us. And he energizes our spirit, activated by his word. So he sustains us. God has fresh bread for us daily. One word we can meditate on, we can chew on, we can ponder it, we can look at it. I was getting ready on Tuesday morning, and um, I felt like the Lord said something specific to me. And I thought, oh, kind of startled me. So I, I really paid attention, and I thought, that had to be you, God, because that came out of nowhere. And so I just, you know, thought about it coming to church, to ladies' prayer, and then, and the ladies prayed for me at one point for the retreat, and Sister Iris prayed, and then Donna shared something, and it was pretty much in line with what the Lord had said to me in that morning. See, when we want to be open to the Spirit of God, he's going to speak to us, and then he'll confirm. 
he'll confirm. And now I'm pondering that. Okay, so what exactly was that little morsel that you fed me, Lord? What is that looking like? Right? Right? Because he, this is relationship. This is me and Jesus. This is you and Jesus. He feeds us. He takes care of us. Chew, meditate. You know, meditation is, they say it's like a cow chewing the cud. They just chew the food, chew the food, chew the food over and over, partially digested, chew it back up again, and then they finally just swallow it. That's how we need to be with the Word of God. If it, at first it doesn't say anything to you, just keep reading. You know, don't be so quick to think, I need to read my chapter, two chapters, three chapters. No, you know what? Maybe stay on a verse if you need to. You feel like there's something there. Oh, what, is, what does that really mean? Look at the cross-reference. Get a concordance out. Dig. Amen. Seek him out. Amen. Right? This is buried treasure for us. But he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to sustain us. Over 15 years ago... Um, we were going through a major trial in our family with my son, and I won't share a lot of it because it's his story, but um, he was living in Florida, and he had gotten into some trouble, and um, so we were praying about whether or not, you know, we need to go down, what's, what's happening here, and Tom was working full-time, and I was working part-time, and it just seemed like more sense if anybody was going to go, it needed to be me, um, and we went to church on Thursday night, and so we're praying about, am I supposed to go? When am I supposed to go? What's that going to look like? There were so many pieces to it. I needed to find a sheriff's department. I needed to find a lawyer. I was going to an area I didn't know one person, or, or I didn't even know where it was. It was big. It was just, like, too big. And um, so we were in church on that Thursday night, and actually, it happened to be Jackie Stradoff that was preaching, and she preached on something from John the Baptist. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I, what I know is that God spoke a word to me that night. He gave me a word, and I knew that I, the next morning I needed to book the flight and be on my way. And he so sustained me on that trip. It was beyond amazing. I got to the airport. I had to drive an hour and a half by myself into an area I had never been to before, and to find all these, these legal things out. And um, uh, it, was, it was rough, but I could feel God's grace on me and his sustaining power on me because I was seeking him. I was waiting for his direction. And he imparted to me what I needed for that tough time, for that trial. That's the God that we serve, that he wants to, by his word, be, his, be bread to us, by his His presence be bread to us be our sustenance in our time of need he's a such a good god he's a good god he's just a good god first kings 19 we read about elijah who had been in the throes of battle and had killed the false prophets and receives threats from the evil queen jezebel afraid of her he runs for his life and i want to read a little bit of um first kings 19 he went a day's journey listen to this if you're not familiar with the story and if you are he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Any ever, anyone ever been through something so deep and so brutal, you'd think, Lord, just could you just like take me up? Really? Right? This is too hard, God. This is too hard. That's where Elijah was, mighty prophet of God. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. 
but an angel came and touched him. There was a supernatural happening. And he said to him, get up and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was some baked bread for him and a jar of water. And Elijah ate and drank and then lay down again. Because sometimes life gets so hard, all we can do is just get up and have a little morsel and then just lay back down again, right? But God was touching him. He was touching him physically. He was touching him spiritually. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, to the mountain of God. Imagine, strengthened by the food that God gave him. Strengthened by the provision that God gave him. 40 days, he went from wanting to die to having supernatural sustenance and strength from the Lord. 40 days and 40 nights he went to have another encounter with the Lord. And when he reached there, he went into a cave, and the word of the Lord came to him again. What are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. (laughs) Anyone ever felt like that? I'm the only one. Oh, me. I'm the only one doing right. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Now they're trying to kill me too. So the Lord says, look, just go out and stand on the mountain. And in a little while, I'm going to pass by. And God displayed incredible natural power. He came in wind, and he came in earthquake, and he came in fire. But he didn't say one thing to him and all of that. He's just showing off. God was just showing off. But then when Elijah settled, he came and he spoke to him in a still, small voice, in a whisper. Oh, whispers of God. Maybe there you go. Still, small voice. And sometimes God has to just get us so cornered, so quiet, so alone, that we lean into him and he just whispers something to us. It doesn't have to be in all the flash and all the busy and all the... Hustle and bustle and oh, you know, come on, let's let's get it together. Let's stir it up. No, sometimes God just comes in stillness. And he came to Elijah in stillness. And he said, now because of your experience and how you've been touched and sustained, now you get up, Elijah. And you go and anoint kings, Jehu and Hazel, and anoint Elijah to succeed you as prophet. See, because they're going to be a powerful team that's going to battle the forces of evil. Because I have, you're not alone. I've reserved 7,000 who have not followed the God of this age. So if you feel like you're alone, we're not. We're not alone. We're never alone. Just look around this room. If anybody's feeling alone tonight, God is with you. God is in you. God is for you. And we are here. Don't go through your struggles alone. Let us know where you're at. Right? Talk to your pastors. Talk to a friend. Talk to us. You know, those of us that have been walking with the Lord maybe just a little bit longer might have a scripture that will help you. We can pray and agree with you in some areas, right? See, because the impact that Jesus makes in our lives isn't just for us. It's to flow out and to touch others, making a difference for his kingdom. People should be partaking of the Jesus in us. And we should be making the world hungry and thirsty for him, right? They should walk away thinking, wow, what is it about him? 
What is it about her, right? I used to have um, a little part-time job in between ministry things several years ago, and um, there was one of the guys who used to give me a hard time, and then one day I was sitting at the reception desk, and he said something, and I just looked at him and said, ooh, those eyes. And I thought, <laughs> those eyes. See, we don't think anything's happening a lot of times, but Jesus, bread of heaven, Jesus, light of the world is shining out, right? Make a difference. If we've come to know him and tasted of the goodness of God and really honest with ourselves, we have to realize that it's only Jesus that can satisfy. So he saves us, he sustains us, and he alone satisfies. No one and nothing else will do. I have fond memories as a young girl of my dad coming home from work with a fresh loaf of Italian bread and my brother and I fighting for the gandotza. Anybody remember John? Who else knows the gandotza, right? The heel, the end of the bread, that's what they called it. And if I had to tell people what that meant, I'd say it's the gandotza. <laughs> it was the end of the bread. We broke it off and it was fresh. And it was the outside crisp and the inside soft. I don't know what it was. It was so appealing. If it was that... If it was satisfying or craving, if it was the freshness, if it was the thoughtfulness of my dad. I don't know, but there was just something about that bread. Isaiah 55 says, come, all who are thirsty and who have no money, buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and, uh, and labor on what does not satisfy? He's constantly drawing us closer, drawing us in, telling us there's nothing in the world that money can buy that will satisfy more than him. Amen. Nothing. Amen. Nothing. If, I, if we had the money back that we spent on cars in the first 10 years of our marriage, right? Thinking, oh, let's just bigger, better, this and that. And, the, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. There isn't. If you have it and you can do it, God bless you. As long as he's, he's in the place he needs to be in. Because those things won't satisfy. Right? They won't. But he says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness... You're going to be filled. But even the filling seems to drain out, and we don't stay as full as we'd like to. Why? Because we can't live on yesterday's filling, and we can't live on yesterday's bread. We're constantly filled but never really full because he always wants us seeking, pursuing, running hard after him, spending time with him, realizing that he's the air we breathe, and I'm desperate for him, and I'm desperate without him. So with that in mind, as we're closing this out in the next few minutes, I want to talk about, I want us to think about some of the things that cause our hunger, hunger to decrease, right? We talked about spiritual hunger and what that could look like and how our lives can be impacted by hungering and thirsting and partaking of the bread of life. But what causes our hunger to decrease? Think about it. If my belly's full, I'm not hungry. If... Tom starts his nightly routine. <laughs> it gets to be around 8 o'clock. We've had a big dinner, and now he says, all right, I'm hungry. What else can we have? And from 8 to 10, it could be anything from pancakes to scrambled eggs to a hot dog on the grill to chips. To... And <laughs> if I ate like he ate, well, hello. Forget about it. But I was full, and he still needed more. So if we're full then there's no hunger there. And spiritually, that's a good thing if what's filling us is Jesus. But it's not a good thing if our hearts are filled with other things and we're not hungry for him because we're full of ourselves, 
oh, we're full of stuff, right? We're full of busyness. We're full of things that we amass, and they satisfy just for a little while, and it's crowding him out. So we're not hungry if we're full of other things. We're not hungry when we're sick, right? Affects our appetite. That's why we have money left over. <laughs> right? If you're sick, you don't feel like eating. I'm not picking on... I'm not <laughs> you're the best. And tell you, and he's an amazing cook. Amazing cook. Loves to cook, and I love to eat all the food he makes. Um, but we're not hungry when we're sick, right? Who feels like eating when you're sick? Mm-mm. So spiritually or emotionally, if we're not healthy, if our spirits are sick, if we're in disobedience, if we're in sin, if we're in rebellion, if we're angry. In fact, if we're in sin, often we don't even want to come into God's presence because the enemy wants to condemn us, make us feel guilty and shameful that we don't even go in to receive what we need from the Lord. Why do you think he works so hard to distract the church from worship and the word, to discourage us, to pull us out, to get us physically, emotionally weary, spiritually drained, cause our hunger to be, eh, we could care less, it decreases. That's his plan. We don't want to cooperate with his plan. What has our attention? What has our affection? What has our appetite? What has our hearts? What are we longing to fill ourselves with other than Jesus? This isn't a message of condemnation. This is a check. This is a spiritual check. I have to look at some of these things because if we really want a move of God, we really want all that Jesus has for us. We want to see our family saved. We want to see our communities touched. We want to see our world flipped upside down. He's the only hope that we have, right? But are we filling that longing in us with other stuff and other people and things? What are we seemingly being filled with? What do we go to for comfort? Let's think about that for a minute. Struggle hits. What's my go-to? Hmm. It's okay if we eventually get back to him. But if I just need to just binge watch shows to just like kind of veg out and de-stress, and sometimes I do that. You too, Joe? Right. It's okay sometimes, as long as it's the right things. You know. Relationships. What about substance? Talk about the danger of addiction. I've heard it said, and I don't know if this this is true, but after that first hit of cocaine, and we were there, in 1980, using, dealing, all manner of craziness. Um, after that first hit of cocaine, you can never get that same high again. It's elusive. See, isn't that the nature of deception, the enemies, to just draw us in? That high, it's elusive. You can never capture that feeling again. It's a false sense of satisfaction, Right? We can't fill ourselves with anything other than him. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing. Filling our lives with good things is okay, as long as they don't take priority over the first thing. And what is the first thing? What did he say to Mary and Martha? This one thing is needful, that you sit at my feet, that you worship me, that you pour out your heart. 
He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these other things will be added to you. He wants to give us things. But if he knows we can't handle the things, some of us can handle the things. Some of us cannot handle the things because the things will become our God and our priority. He knows what we need and what we can handle, right? But we want to believe in, we want to trust in, we want to obey him and know that nothing satisfies like Jesus. And doing what he says, being in his will, following him, believing him. He's bred to us, calling us to be broken and multiplied out to other people so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Can we say like Jesus, my meat is to do the will of the one who sent me. I need Jesus. I'm desperate for Jesus. You know, I just, I was saying, Lord, how, you know, how do we want to close this tonight? Then I was reminded of a, a vision, and I've only had maybe three visions in 38 years of walking with the Lord, so I'm not, you know, um, But the vision, we were in prayer, and um, I saw myself standing in the foyer, and the doors were, to the sanctuary were open. And the lights were kind of dim, and there were tables. There were round banquet tables surrounding the sanctuary, and there were so many that they went all the way to the door because as I stood in the foyer and I looked in, I could see them. And they were, they were set with beautiful white, brilliant white tablecloths that had a glow and just, like, shined. And, um, and there was just a sense of the glory of God in this place. You could see it like a cloud, like a mist, like a, as much as you could maybe see the presence of God. I don't know. But he was in this place. And he filled the room, and I sensed him saying, prepare a place for me to come among you, my bride. Because I'm coming, I'm preparing to come to be with you. And I thought, wow, Lord, that's really what this bread of life is all about. That he wants us so hungering, so thirsty for him, so sold out to him, because he wants to meet with us in such a powerful way. But can he entrust his, the weightiness of his glory and his presence to us? Think about that for yourself. And when we prepare a place for him, and we love on him in that way, and we say, Jesus, you alone satisfy, how can he not feel so welcome that he'll want to come and be in the midst of us? And we've been saying that his presence is intensifying. It's evident that the presence of God is increasing. And so let's just continue to go hard after Jesus. And, you know, if you're here tonight and you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know him personally, Jesus can save you right here. It's just a simple prayer. Lord, tonight I recognize that I need a Savior, and I'm hearing tonight that you're the Savior of the world. Come in my life. Save me. Make me new. And your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the angels in heaven are rejoicing, even as you're doing that. And if you're feeling really weary and tired, and you need God to sustain you in whatever place that you're in, that's who he wants to be to you. But 
we have to do our part, right? We need to open up this book. We need to spend time with him. We need to say, you know what? You're numero uno. It's all about you, Jesus. We can't just sing the songs. We have to mean it. He knows that we mean it with our hearts, right? And if you're feeling dissatisfied, well, hello, we have the answer. Right? It doesn't mean that we're always going to feel on top of the world and everything's going to be great. But what it means is he's with us. He's going to help us. He's going to give us everything that we need when we're in that place of fellowship and communion with him. Right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bread of heaven, fill me till I want no more. Take my cup, I lift it up unto you, Lord. You know, sometimes you did a great job, Pastor Jenny. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding talking about the word. The Lord is the word. The bread is the word. Because we don't get it. You know, in this chapter, John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. When you get to chapter 6, verse 66, it sticks out in my head because it was 666. It says, and from that time forward, many left and they followed him no more. And the reason they did that was because he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they didn't get it. But he said, I am the word. And the word is spirit. And, and the word makes you alive. It quickens, it says in the King James. And the word is real. And, and I bring life. And the word is life. And they didn't grasp the concept of of life with him, of being so immersed in him, not of being able to quote the whole Bible front to back. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be in me. Dwell in me. Live in me. My word is life. When he talks in the beginning, in the first chapter of John, when he says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, then later, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, he's not talking about a book and words. He's talking about the logos. He's talking about the idea, the concept, the, 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 the who God is, what he wants, what he has for us, his life that he gives to us, that he pours into us, the nature of God, the power of God, the life-giving essence of who he is, that's his word. And it's so hard for us to grasp it sometimes because we think of the word as, as the written word, as the study and go to Bible studies and learn and quote it. And that's so important because it sustains us and nourishes us. But he's inviting us beyond that. He's inviting us to a depth of relationship the same way we eat bread and it gives us life. He's saying, know me, I am life. I am spirit. Eat me, drink me, be, let me become part of you, of your very being. Immerse yourself in who I am. 
Because in me and in my spirit, there's life. Don't take what Pastor Jenny said as merely an encouragement to study your Bible more. That is part of getting to that place he's inviting us to. Take it as what Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Become part of me. Become part with me. Let me be what sustains you and carries you and drives you and fills you. Jesus, the very image of Almighty God, his express image, learn of him, follow him, and love him, and consume him. That's what it's about. Let's stand.